0: You're listening to an adult Sunday School class at Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Okay, as I said, we're looking at evangelism. This is the second week, and uh, we're going to try to look at the meaning, method, and motivation. So, let's begin by talking about what evangelism is not. That's a little bit loud. What evangelism is not, and there are all kinds of views of evangelism. We're trying to be biblical evangelism should not be confused or equated with the conversion of souls. That is not evangelism. So keeping track of the number of decisions or of conversions, while it might be encouraging, it's certainly not evangelism. You cannot evaluate what you do as an evangelist, and we're all evangelists to a degree, on the basis of decisions or number of conversions. When we first started the church, I remember uh, calling Ray. Did Ray step out? He's not here. Okay, anyway. And I was discouraged because we had it was just the same. It was flatline. The membership was the same for years. And I thought, oh, well, maybe I'm not called to this, you know. And it was on the basis of this. I was totally naïve. The basis of decisions or conversions or members, that would determine the faithfulness, the quality, the nature of your evangelism and your ministry? No. So evangelism is not on the basis of decisions or conversions. It's wrong to define it as producing effects, which is the work of the Holy Spirit, instead of announcing news, like a herald. That's what an evangelist, you're, you're pronouncing, you're announcing the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished. The word itself means to announce good news or to declare glad tidings. It's from the Greek word evangelion, which is basically gospel. You're gospeling is what you're doing when you evangelize. You're proclaiming, you're sharing, you're teaching the gospel. And what is the gospel? Bare bones. He died, he was buried, he rose again according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel. That's the good news. So when you tell somebody that, you are evangelizing, regardless of how they respond. As a matter of fact, if you're Isaiah the prophet, probably one of the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, you're prepared that everybody's going to reject you and reject your message. How discouraging would that be? But that was evangelizing. The Babylonian exile and eventual deliverance was a type of our redemption in Jesus Christ. And so Isaiah there tells us how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And that's evangelism. It is communicating, conveying this good news. The herald runs over the rugged terrain to bring the glad tidings of emancipation, the news of liberation, and he is the evangelist to the Babylonian exiles. Even his grubby blistered feet in such a scenario are handsome to the hearers because of the news that he brings. Now they're bloody, grubby, blistered feet. They're ugly but taking the most difficult thing on his body and saying, that's beautiful, simply because of the good news. He's not responsible for the ways his listeners respond. As they listen, they might listen, they might not listen, they can rejoice, they can be downcast. However they respond, he has communicated the good news. So the person who evangelizes makes known the terms of amnesty to guilty, corrupt rebels. That's who we are by nature you're a rebel, I'm a rebel. And when somebody communicates the good news that there is forgiveness and freedom in Christ, that's evangelism. The communication of the gospel is man's work. The conversion of the soul is God's work. As we'll find out, the Holy Spirit is the great evangelist. That is His job. By common consent of the three persons in the Trinity, He's the one who makes effectual the preaching, teaching, and sharing of the gospel. So he's responsible for the conversion of souls. If anybody should be discouraged, it shouldn't be us. Him. Of course, he's never discouraged. He does exactly what he's supposed to. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. As much as we would like to, you and I can do nothing toward the conversion of a sinner. Nothing. We can pray. Ask him. We evaluate evangelism, therefore, not by how many souls are saved, but by how faithfully we convey the gospel. That's how you evaluate your evangelism. Have you faithfully communicated to your loved one the truth about Christ, regardless of how he or she responds? And that's how we understand what our duty is as evangelists. Any questions? At this point on what evangelism is not. Okay? Good. What evangelism is, as we've said, it's the faithful communication of the gospel of Christ, plain and simple. We declare and we convey the message of salvation in Jesus, the God-man. Now, obviously what this means is that we need to understand and know the gospel. <laughs> If somebody asks you, what is the gospel, you should be able to give them at least a bare bones definition. 1 Corinthians 15, He died according to the scriptures, He was buried, He rose again according to the scriptures. That's good news. So there's more to it than that, of course, but that is the bare bones gospel. We present Him as the only Lord and Savior offered freely to sinners, it's free. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to Christ. You come as you are. I guess there's that hymn, come as you are. I think, didn't Billy Graham used to play that hymn? I forget what that was. Come as I am. Is that just just as I am? That's it. Yes. And that's true. The simple terms call for trust in him who delivers believers from wrath. So the terms of salvation. What are the terms, Lord? I want to know what the terms are. All right. I provided you a Savior. He's paid the debt. I'm requiring of you faith in him, and I'll give you the spirit to work in you that faith. Those are the terms. Not bad. Not a bad deal. I am the way, the truth, and the life, says Jesus. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the only mediator. There is no other mediator on earth. There is no other mediator between God and men. You can live as faithfully as you desire to the Light of nature or the laws of that religion which you might profess. Nevertheless, you will not be saved unless you come to Christ. He is the only mediator. There is salvation in no other name under heaven. And so the one who evangelizes, and this can be formal and it can be informal. It can be from the pulpit. It can be from the pew. The one who evangelizes may be considered as an ambassador of Christ to the world. Ambassador. That's an important concept. An ambassador, as you know, like our U.S. ambassadors, they're authorized to represent the sovereign or the government in neighboring countries. So that's their job. They're communicating what the governing powers are saying. And the ambassador is required to faithfully convey his sovereign's will to those to whom he's sent. He's allowed to add nothing. He's allowed to take away nothing. He communicates the sovereign's will. He is to be faithful to the message, adding nothing to it. Okay. Excuse me. Sorry. Could we have two volunteers to help with the fifth and sixth grade class? Thank you, Sandy. Can I help? Her? Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Elder, uh, not Gilland, Elder Grissett, not Grissett. Miller. I knew it would come to me after a while he's got a difficult job. I don't envy him. It's not easy keeping those Sunday school classes staffed. Anyway, so to be faithful to the message, he adds nothing to it. He omits nothing from it. He alters nothing in it. And that's important, especially when we're evangelizing, which is, again, another reason why we get to know the gospel. We study. Sue? Yeah, the the terms of salvation, what God has set up as the terms in this covenant. He provides this Savior, and what He requires of you as a member in this covenant is trust. You trust in Him. To receive Christ into your heart and to rest and rely upon Him. You treasure Him more than your own life. I think Piper talked about how the word faith has been kind of hijacked in our day, so he uses the word treasure. You treasure Christ. Most of us know what that means. We we have something that's very special to us, and we treasure it. We protect it. We hold it close. And Jesus Christ, you treasure him. I I was thinking of actually believing that it's true. Devils do that. And they tremble. (laughs) Yep. Satan believes it's true. Terry? True. I strugg I struggle with some people in my life who say, Well, I've said the Jesus prayer. I'm good. Yeah. How do I talk to them? Hebrews three, if you're persevering today. I don't care what you did 10 years ago with the Billy Graham crusade, it's today. If you're persevering today, then there's evidence that true grace is at work in your heart. You might have had an emotional experience 10 years ago, wonderful, but it doesn't mean anything for today. And that's how I evaluate myself. You know, I've been in the pulpit for 28 years, so what? That doesn't mean anything. If I'm persevering today, that means that the Lord is still working in my heart. That's the evidence that I have that I'm encouraged. Right? That's the assurance that I have. Still struggling with but but I still believe. I still believe in Jesus. Like you said, no, I the devil believe. And they tremble. How do I explain that even that's not? Tell them. <laughs> even the devils do what you're doing. <laughs> right? They have to believe. They can't but believe. They're more orthodox than I am. Yeah, they stood before. <laughs> yeah. Don't torment me before the time, Jesus. They know what's coming. So they not only believe in Jesus and know that he's the Son of God, but they also understand the day of judgment. They're firm believers in the day of judgment. So, yeah. Uh, Ray? So it's not a profession of faith, but it is possession of that. It's both. You confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, right? And you believe in your heart that He rose from the dead. So it's both. Yeah, but we can do that. The Billy Graham, you say, make that profession, and then. Right. You no know, the transformation in your life. Right. And come back to that, right? You're still living in the world. Right. a believer. But you made that profession. So people say, well, oh, I'm a believer. I made that profession 10 years ago. That's right. And that's why he uh, Matthew 7. Lord, Lord, didn't I do all these things for you? Didn't I profess Christ at Billy Graham crusade? Didn't I preach? Didn't I teach? Didn't I serve in Sunday school? And he says, I never knew you. <laughs> very sobering passage. And I think it's the true Christian whose knees tremble at that passage, because we know that it's true. It's the hypocrite who says, oh, yeah, right. No big deal. Because he doesn't believe it, really, in the heart, sadly. Sadly. We'll talk about somebody this morning, a friend of mine in college. I'm not going to steal my own thunder, but exactly what you're saying: profess, but no evidence of grace. Sadly, he's decei- he was deceived. Yeah. Anybody else before I move on? Okay. Treasure. Yeah. As a matter of fact, our uh, I forget what you call it. Our mission statement. What I, I get these mixed up: mission, division, statement, or. It's the statement on our bulletin. Yeah, the statement. We exalt, we proclaim, and we treasure Christ, that he may have devoted followers throughout the world. So we exalt upward, we proclaim outward, and we treasure inward, right? Treasure Christ. Don? So anytime we're giving our testimony, we're evangelizing. As long as you're telling the good news. Yeah, exactly. Giving testimony is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with it. Psalm 66, come and hear what the Lord's done for my soul. That's a good thing. But as long as you remember that the good news is what Jesus has done, not what I've experienced. Yeah. And we confuse that so often. That's, That's helpful and encouraging and edifying to the saints. But the unbeliever needs to hear that Jesus died, was buried, rose again, and he's coming again to judge the world in righteousness. So, okay. Not all evangelists or ambassadors are authorized, ordained, but all of us are effectually called and enlisted as witnesses. Getting to Don's point, we're witnesses. He has done this for my soul. I do have something to say. I do understand at least the rudiments of the gospel, and I'd like you to hear this good news. So God in Christ, by the Spirit, has entrusted the treasure of the gospel to the church. He puts this treasure in earthen vessels. We're like jars of clay, easily breakable, mud, right? But this treasure is so precious that even in jars of clay, it can be very appealing to those seeking salvation. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for, not my faith, not your faith, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now there you have this idea that there is a faith, the faith, to which we conform. In our day and age, there's such an emphasis on individualism, that it's my faith, how I feel, my journey, my story... No, we're coming into the faith, the historic faith that's been entrusted to the church. You're entering into this marvelous covenant relationship that saints of every age have enjoyed. That's one of the reasons why these vows, they sound archaic, and they're the same vows, but it's so wonderful because you're professing the same thing that your forebears have professed in the 19th century. Hundreds, even hundreds of thousands of saints have professed the same vows. It's like marriage vows. You know, all this stress on, I want to tell you how much I love you at the marriage service. No, 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 no. I don't care what you feel. I want to know what you're going to do. And this is marriage, God's marriage. So you're going to enter in and take the vows, affirming what God has given to us, right? It's it's His ordinance. (laughs) Marriage is His. He regulates it, he enforces it, he witnesses it. So anyway, that's one thing I ask if you're planning on, well, everybody's here married, but if you're planning on getting married, one thing I ask is the vows. I don't care what you do in the service, but I want traditional vows. That's it, you know. I've heard some of the weirdest things go on at weddings. (laughs) The church in turn is commissioned to make known the gospel to the ends of the earth. <laughs> so that through the church, and this is entered the corporate witness, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to principalities, authorities, and so forth. Again, it's this idea that angels eagerly peer into what goes on here on Sunday morning and evening, and they learn about God's grace. How else would they know? They're holy beings. Their colleagues who fell, no grace, judgment. So how would they learn about the gracious, merciful, aboundingly good character of God other than looking at us, seeing how we respond in gratitude to this great salvation and worship? They eagerly watch what we do. And that's why in Hebrews 12, he tells us, we're entering into this worship service that is heavenly. We're joining with the angelic choirs above in praising the Lord. Any questions on what it is? Okay. Oops, did I go backwards? Yeah. Okay, so it involves the application of the gospel to those who hear. Jesus is not presented as an object of detached critical study and investigation, sort of what Sue is saying. Well, I believe it's true. Yeah, there was an historical figure named Jesus. Apparently, he was crucified. No, it's not an object of critical study. We exhort sinners to accept Christ. You don't just present the facts, ma'am, nothing but the facts. There is this personal element. There is an, we implore you, says Paul, to be reconciled to God. There's even this idea that God is pleading with sinners through evangelism. Isn't that amazing condescension? That God would plead with such as us? People are invited to receive and rest upon him as the prophet, priest, and king. And we're urged, according to the command of God, to repent of all known sin and to believe. Now, there are unknown sins, sins of ignorance, and so forth, but you repent of all known sin. And God takes care of that in the blood of Christ. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We are ambassadors for Christ. Get this, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's an amazing thing that God would stoop to actually beg sinners to trust in the incarnate Son of God. it's It's just phenomenal to me. He begs you. He, can, he does command you. He begs you for your own good. You add nothing to him. I can't give anything to the Lord. He benefits nothing from me coming into his kingdom. He gives me all the benefits in Christ. But he begs us, he appeals to us, he implores us to come to Christ. So when we're evangelizing, you're the personal element. Go ahead, Sue. No, it's okay. We're already chosen, you mean? Yeah, why does he beg us if we're already chosen? That's the means that he uses to bring us into the kingdom. See, it's not just the ends that are important to the Lord. It's not just the fact that we're saved that's important. What do they say? It's the journey. Right? Isn't that what they say today? It's the journey my story. It's the means are just as important. How he brings you to Christ and the way he does that The way he fulfills his electing purpose is to beg you, right? Every interaction you've ever had with a Christian has been foreordained from before the foundation of the world. Staggering to think about. Evangelism seeks and prays for the conversion of sinners. We're aiming at conversion, but we're not responsible for it. God alone is able to convert us, but our aim and expectation ought to be their conversion. We don't declare merely the law of God, which is the erroneous opinion of some. I've heard people, I've heard people in my own presbytery years and years ago say that when they preached the Ten Commandments, that was the gospel, because it was the Word of God. You're preaching the Word of God, but that's not the gospel. That's judgment. (laughs) So it's not just the law, it's the gospel. We don't explain the gospel in a detached, theoretical manner. It involves more than instruction. My dear friend, God has offered to you this mediator, and I desperately want your conversion. I have a, I have a Hindu friend at Life Center, 80-some years old, believes in reincarnation, you know, all that stuff. And we talk back and forth, and um, we've talked about Christianity. And he's attended churches before. People have all tried to talk to him evangelize him. And I've told him, look, uh, I'm communicating this to you. I really want you to become a Christian. I want you to become a Christian. And he knows that. So it's not this detached, okay, here's Christ. This is what we believe. No, I want you to join into what we've experienced and enjoyed. Right? But he's 80-some years old. He's stuck in his ways. He thinks he's going to become, I don't know, a king in his next life or something. I mean, it's just crazy. We plead. We exhort. We implore sinners to turn because they need more than information. They need a relationship. This is why I love Young Life so much, what they do. Young Life goes on to the front line on campus, and they form friendships. There's a relationship, right? Right? And in that relationship, then, knowing that this person cares for me, they share Christ. It's a great thing. It's been described by referring to us as dying men speaking to dying men because time is short. We know that no man knows his time. Any questions on this part? Okay. In Paul's gospel ministry, there was both instruction and entreaty. He was not only to communicate the gospel, but seek their salvation. He was sent not to lecture, but to preach, not to inform, but to herald. The herald comes to the street corner in the ancient cities, and he would proclaim the good news, and people would clap and rejoice, I'm sure. There's no place, but there you are. Take it or leave it. That's not evangelism, or at least that's not the right motivation. Every Christian is called by God to present the truth of Christ in a spirit of love. You know, my friend, I want you to become a Christian because I care for you. That's why I'm communicating this to you. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. You know that you're saved. You know where you're going. You have a joy that is inexpressible and unfading. Nobody can take that away from you, and you want to share that with others. That's the reason you're sharing the gospel. The Apostle Paul was willing to consider his hearers and adapt himself, and his conscience would allow. I've become all things to all men. You want me to grow a beard? I'll do my best. It won't look very nice, but I'll do it if it means I can share the gospel with you. I remember kids at Gordon-Conwell going to uh, Muslim countries, and in preparation for that short-term mission, they had to grow a beard, because that would give them a hearing, you know, I'll do whatever it takes. As long as I can in good conscience do it, I'll do it. i become all things to all people, says Paul. J.I. Packer says, because he sought to save them, he was not content merely to throw truth at them. Very important. I grew up in Canton, and it used to be on Hall of Fame weekend, on Friday night, they have a parade on Saturday morning. So on, on Friday night, our church was right there, I think it was... It was either Cleveland or Market Avenue. I forget which one. I get confused. But it was the parade route. And so Friday night, they would start camping out along the parade route. And it was a huge party. I mean, they had music and drinking, all kinds of things going on for the parade next day. And so our church being right there, I was a brand-new Christian, um, we would go out and try to talk to people about Christ. That was our way of evangelizing. Well, on Hall of Fame night, the same night on that street, filled with people partying, a church truck, a big, flatbed truck with all kinds of people in the back, would go down the street with this huge speaker. And from the speaker, they would say, repent or perish. That was it. You know, okay, that's evangelism? We're to seek the conversion of sinners, not just tell them that they're damned. That's what they were doing. They were thinking that they were helping, but they were just... And of course, here we are, watching the truck go down the street trying to share Christ, and they're like, are you one of them? You know, okay. We try to win them, imploring them. God tells us to communicate the gospel, to rely upon the Holy Spirit who breathes life. So evangelism, if we want a definition, is communicating the gospel in love to sinners with a view to converting them to Christ. As far as I can tell, that's evangelism. Communicating the gospel. Notice there's nothing in here about results. There's nothing in here about the response that you experience. Communicating the gospel in love to sinners with a view to converting them to Christ. Any questions on that? Rihanna? Um, so, adapt himself feels a little tricky in terms of interpretation. Because, like, when you say beer, like, you know, culturally, that would make sense. Like, you're not going to be able to have a conversation, you know, with it. But you look at our, the church in general, as a whole, and the Western church, and how much adaption is happening in churches. Um, Is there a place that you can make a distinction for me? So like, coffee, I have coffee houses in our church now. We have youth group events, you know, that are constantly adapting themselves to teenagers. Um, Is there a way, I know that that is a huge camp world, but are you specifically speaking like, you are adapting yourself to that person in terms of communicating the gospel? Um, but we're not adapting right. the church <clears throat> it can be a little... that's a great question how do we adapt ourselves without bowing to the culture right so it, it requires discernment is the first answer I mean, and individually you know we have to recognize okay can I do this in good conscience I'm not going to commit a sin to win sinners so I wouldn't do something unlawful. I wouldn't enter into an unlawful trade or occupation, you know, but I'll wear, I'll wear clothes that might make them feel comfortable. Like if this was a church filled with 20 somethings and everybody had a t shirt and shorts on, I probably wouldn't dress like this. I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm before the Lord, but I, I probably would dress down a little bit. Okay, I can do that in good conscience. Um, but when it comes to the worship service, what this is about, this is about the Lord. This is not about you as a sinner or a seeker, so to speak. So, no, I'm not going to compromise on that. But when I'm on Hall of Fame night on the street, if I'm talking to a person, I'm probably not going to go out there with a black suit and a black tie and a white shirt. I'm going to be a JW. That's what they're going to say. You're a JW. Jehovah's Witness. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, you do things, and it does require wisdom and discernment. And I think the church has missed it in our day and age. They're capitulating to the culture in so many ways, and that's not right. So in good conscience, we could not do that. Yeah, Manny? I guess another comment is, um, I think churches have tried to do that and, to adapt, and I think what they end up doing also is watering down the gospel, right? Right. Right, Emergent church, that's right. It's trying to adapt to the culture and try not to address things that are sketchy or complicated for people to do. Right. And you water the gospel so much that you become more of the world. That's right. Uh, yeah, and I think what, what happens is we begin to think we're wiser than God. Like preaching is outmoded. What we need to do is put couches on the stage and have a conversation because that's our culture. Well, no. God says he wants a herald, an official ordained ambassador to announce the good news. Whether our culture likes it or not. And God promises to use that and not the couch, you know. So you're right. And the gospel gets watered down because we don't want to offend. We're soft on sin, you know. Ruthanne? Are our, our church corporately should do such as go ahead and go support a parachurch ministry or work in one or you know various things that that isn't the church's main point of proclaiming the gospel and worshiping together and and so I think that I mean, was touching on that too that's helpful to think about in the adaptation yeah there are some things there like if it's a hospital or a food food kitchen you know. As individual Christians, we might do that and do some good, but the church really shouldn't be in a food kitchen. That's not its job, right? Exactly, good point. So there are some individual and corporate things where we exercise wisdom and discernment, yeah. Okay. Uh, There are various ways to evangelize. Public ministry, obviously. Um, He talks about this in 1 Corinthians 14. Personal evangelism. One of the two who heard John speak, followed Jesus, was Andrew, he went and got his brother Simon and brought him. There's personal evangelism. There's small groups, the Riverside Prayer Meeting, where God opened up Lydia's heart. You know, strategic endeavors. This is important. There is such a thing as strategy. You know, Paul had a strategy. He would go to centers of uh, population, not out in the country. He wanted to go to the synagogue. So, um, we find that there is method, and there's nothing wrong with method and strategy. Understanding that man plans his ways, but the Lord orders his steps. At what we said last time, Semper Gumby, always flexible, right? Um, Ray, you're, I think Ray was, were you the one who told me that, the missions team that one year? Semper Gumby, yeah. I just thought it was a great saying. I grew up watching Gumby. I, yeah, I know. So the manner of evangelism is often as important as the message. If we convey truth without focus, we're not faithful. We have to communicate the point, otherwise we'll be fruitless. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, the apostles, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had run in vain. Even Paul wanted to make sure he was on point. So we want to be focused. If we convey the truth without faith, we're not evangelizing sincerely. <clears throat> we have to believe and embrace the gospel we're trying to communicate. Against this gets back to Sue's question. Do you believe this? You're not convincing me. You're talking like a devil. This, yeah, this is some detached thing that happened in the first century. No, I've experienced this. This is the gospel, and it actually has an effect and impact on me. Such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. If we do it without prayer, we're not depending on God. Prayer is vital. We never forget God's sovereignty, as we talked last week, as well as our own inadequacy for this great work. Pray for us, as Paul, that the word of the Lord may spread abroad, or head, and be honored as happened among you. So we pray. And then if we convey the truth without love, we're not doing so with the salvation of souls in view. An unloving witness betrays the one of whom he testifies. God can use him. He can use a donkey if he wants to, but he's failed in his duty. So if you're not loving the person to whom you're sharing the gospel, in some ways you're being unfaithful. He can still use it. He can use unbelieving preachers, teachers, professors, if he wants to. The man who, I wouldn't say led me to Christ, but was the man to whom I went when I was convicted of sin. He was a Methodist minister, poured out my soul in his living room. And he said to me, sounds to me like you're having trouble forgiving yourself. Why don't you say a prayer or something? That was his advice. Okay. Never prayed, didn't know how to pray, bowed my head, said something, left his house with the guilt removed. Was a brand new man. Five years later, I go back to him. I say, I want to thank you, because this is what happened. I explained it to him. You know what he said to me? I don't believe in individual salvation. God used Balaam's ass to bring me to Christ. It was incredible. I, I... Wow. I said, What do you you mean, not individual salvation? He said, Well, all those promises are to Israel as a corporate whole. That was his understanding. Yeah, I know. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So we need to have the manner of evangelism is important. Finally, approaches. The Holy Spirit is the great evangelist, like I said, He is sovereign. It's the human agency and means that he uses to convert sinners. When the word goes forth, it will hide from some. It will reveal to others. This is the nature of how God works. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Always remember that God is sovereign. And if you have shared the gospel and that person rejects you, curses you, turns from you, you've done your job. There are going to be some who aren't going to respond. That's the nature of it. Liberal evangelism does not evangelize at all because they don't believe in the fundamental doctrines. Sacramental evangelism relies on the use of outward ordinances to convert sinners to Christ. So, the baby's born, get him to the baptismal, he's in. Sacramental evangelism. Pretty foolproof if you ask me. You get that water on them, they're in the kingdom. That's not bad, you know. They believe the Spirit always works through the sacraments when administered properly, or ex opere operato. The work performed performs, or something like that. If the bull and goat blood could not wash away sins, neither can the water, the bread, or the cup. It's only faith in Christ. Arminian evangelism calls on sinners to surrender to Christ, and he will save them for heaven. And that's True. But the problem is, we are not going to surrender to Christ. You and I will never bend the knee or bow the neck. Or bend the neck and bow the knee, whichever one he wants, unless the Spirit changes our hearts. They cannot surrender unless God gives them new life. So, Arminian evangelism has something right, but ultimately it's wrong because it, it changes the order. It says that faith precedes regeneration. You have to believe in order to be regenerated. The Bible says you have to be regenerated in order to believe. They get it backwards. So they believe in Christ, they believe in the atonement, they trust in him, they do all the right things, uh, they're brethren, but they shouldn't teach and they shouldn't preach. Nicodemus, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Get out of the pulpit until you figure out which comes first. You know, I'm going to call iconic evangelism, calls on the sinner. It's sort of like impersonal. Uh, calls on the sinner to repent and believe and has no further counsel to give. I remember Shelley Obert, who was here. It's one of um, Jackie's friends. She was diagnosed with cancer, and she showed up every single Sunday night for six months straight. And she and I met two or three times, and she said, I cannot believe. I can't believe. And I could, I can't just say, well, repent and believe. Okay, you can't believe. That's it. That's laconic. It's like there's no sense of urgency. There's no concern. There's no attempt to persuade You know, it's just, here it is, I'm throwing truth at you. Reformed evangelism tells the awakened seeker, and I believe Shelley was an awakened seeker, not converted, but there was an awakening. Her conscience had been awakened. She understood, hey, there's something going on here. So the reformed evangelist tells the awakened seeker who seeks sinfully, To seek the Lord while he may be found. When I say seeks sinfully, meaning the sinner can't do anything that is righteous. So even his seeking is sinful. He's seeking because he wants to save his own skin, not because he wants to honor God. The true seeker, the believer, wants to honor God. Seek and you shall find, right? That's what Jesus says. Seek, believer, my child, and you will find. Ask, and it'll be given to you. Knock, and you can enter. The false seeker, the sinful seeker, seeks just... He doesn't want to go to hell. That was me. I didn't want to go to hell. My conscience had been awakened. I knew I was guilty. I didn't want to go to hell. I was consciously seeking to escape this judgment. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Shelley, there's been an awakening in your conscience. And the Lord says, seek him while he may be found. Show up here every Sunday night. Come hear the preaching of God's word. And perhaps, just maybe, he'll give you new life. I don't know. He's sovereign. But the Holy Spirit says he'll use these means to bring sinners to Christ. Show up. Strive to enter through the narrow door. Look what it says. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Seekers who don't enter. There are going to be those who show up seeking to save their skin, and they don't enter. And whose fault is that? It's not mine, not his. The Lord hasn't seen fit to give them new birth. Doesn't that give you cause to say, Lord, thank you that you gave me this gift of faith? He didn't have to. It's a gift. Any questions on these approaches? Obviously the last one is hopefully the one that we're pursuing. I, I hope you know that. I, I didn't say that, but these other approaches, I think, are not, not, good. not good. Okay, Colin. Yes, question is the connection between evangelism and throwing pearls before swine. It's a debate, it's a very good question. It's a debated issue. What does he mean? What pearls? Some and some men I respect think that if you get to the point where the person is just totally turning you off and rejecting you, you don't throw pearls before swine. No more, no more evangelism. I'm not of that opinion. I'm of the opinion that it's the Lord's Supper and baptism, the sacraments, that you don't put your pearls, these wonderful gifts that God has entrusted to the church, and give them to swine. That's why we fence the table, right? Look, this is not for you this morning. You're here hearing the Word. So he never says, if unbelievers are coming into your worship service, don't throw your pearls before these swine. No, he never says that. Preach them the gospel. Convey the gospel. But don't give them the treasure, the supper. Don't give them the baptismal font because we don't want to add judgment to them that they're already judged, right? We don't want to increase and aggravate their judgment and their condemnation. So that's my understanding. Again, men I respect differ with me, as you you must know. Um, But I can't honestly see a time when I would say I'm not going to convey the good news of Christ to you. I don't believe it's for us to walk out of a town and shake the dust off our feet like Paul and Barnabas did a couple times. That, that was at that point with the Jewish towns and people. I don't think we have that privilege. I think the risk is where we say swine, swine, swine. We're judging who... Good point. Very good point, yeah. Who are we to judge the swine? But we can judge who should and should not take the supper. There are clear requirements there. So that's another reason why I think you're right. Okay, Uh, let's, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have entrusted the treasure of Christ and the good news of Christ to such as we earthen vessels, We pray that you'll give us wisdom and discernment and courage and love to be able to evangelize faithfully, and we pray that you'll use our meager efforts in bringing sinners to Christ so that they can enjoy the benefits that we have so richly enjoyed at your presence. Prepare us now for worship, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.